my name is Nate. If you haven't seen me or met me before. Uh, I am a, a friend of Sam's, but I'm also an intern at a PCA church down in Poway called North City Presbyterian. Uh, I'm also a student at Westminster Seminary uh, in my final year, uh, Lord willing. And um, so that's who I am. just want you to know, you know who I am, where I'm from, if you haven't seen me before. And uh, I will be bringing the God's Word to us this morning, uh, actually afternoon now, which I'm sensing by the heat of the sun. Uh I may be moving around sporadically, so forgive me. Uh, But our text this afternoon comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So if you could please turn with me there to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And uh, as is my custom in the church I'm at... uh, we stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, so if you could, please stand uh, as we read God's word this morning together. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we will read, begin in verse 17 and go to chapter 2, verse 5. Verse 17, hear now the word of the Lord. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Jesus Christ, whom God made our wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come to you proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you now to hear your word proclaimed to us. This is your word, Father, and I pray that the words of my mouth would be acceptable in your sight, and that your church would weigh all things against your, with your word, so that we might know the truth, and that truth might grow us up into salvation. 
And we pray you would do this by your Holy Spirit in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be seated. So I wonder if you've ever had a moment in your life where you felt foolish. I'm sure you can think of one, maybe even recently. Well, I had one moment where I thought I could almost have done something very foolish. Uh, About a year ago, I was getting ready to preach a sermon, and I thought to myself, I'm going to wear the suit that I got married in. So I, you know, bring it out of the closet. I had gotten it about nine years since I got married. And I thought, you know, nothing's changed. I feel the same. I look in the mirror, I look the same. And when I tried to put my pants on, I couldn't get the button to button. And when I put the jacket on, the sleeves were too short. And I thought to myself, I could try to pull this off. But if I get up there and people are looking at me, they're going to think, this guy is a goofball. He's wearing clothes that are clearly too small for him. So there was a moment I almost encountered foolishness. Now, we're not going to get into all the times I've done foolish things, but I'm sure we've all been in that place in our lives where we've thought to ourselves, I wish I knew. If I wish I knew better, I wouldn't have done those things. I wouldn't have gone into that situation. I wouldn't have said those things. And Paul wants to bring us into a situation of foolishness that he's encountering in the Corinthian church, where they're arguing over who the greatest in the church, who the greatest apostle is, or as they might think of them, philosophers. And he wants to confront this foolish kind of thinking to show them what true wisdom is. And so we're going to look at this passage in three ways this morning, and if you'd like to take notes, you could write these down. Um, But these three ways we're going to look at this passage is God's foolish message, God's foolish methods, and God's wise and powerful Savior. So the foolish foolish message, foolish methods, and the wise and powerful Savior. So we jump into this passage in verse 17. Paul says, Christ did not send me to preach the, to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Paul is setting up this war of words. Words of eloquent wisdom, or the word of the cross. And he wants to say, these words have power on both sides depending on which side of this war you fall on. What do you think? Which word is powerful? And how do you understand it? And he brings it down to wisdom. And we don't often think of wisdom as power. But wisdom really is, at the end of the day, it's power. It allows you to do things. It allows you to control things, to manipulate things. Not in a bad way, but you can control and manipulate things. You can control outcomes. You can bring things about that other people can't. We know this when we encounter a wise person. We think, how did you figure this out? How did you navigate through this circumstance in your life? So wisdom, it has this power to it. And these Corinthians knew this. That's what the philosophy of the day was. That's why they were enamored with with this wisdom that they had. But what is wisdom? If it has this power, what is it? Well, we know it's knowledge how things work, what things are, the nature of things. You think of a doctor, they have to go to school for, you know, probably a decade in order to figure out how the human body works. But it's not just knowledge, it's character. It's who you are as a person. 
You can have all the knowledge in the world as a doctor, but if you can't keep your hands steady, you can't be a doctor. If you don't know when to make a decision at the right moment, you might make a bad choice, even though you understand everything about a human, how a human body works. And it's this way with ourselves. Our character determines we have to know what is right and have the will to do what is right. See, we are like the Corinthians. We are impressed with power. We, we are impressed when it comes to us. It's, it is actually an amazing thing when we see somebody exercise their wisdom in a way. It's, it's a powerful thing. But we can have that detract us away from the place we need to be as Christians. And Paul wants to say that if you bring this worldly approach of proclaiming the gospel and you mix it with the gospel, you lose the gospel. He says this, if you do this, it will empty the cross of Christ of its power. This worldly way of <coughs> proclaiming the gospel, this worldly way of doing this, it will nullify what we're doing here. And he's confronting this. And so I want to look into what is this message? What is this word of the cross that Paul's talking about? Because I think as we look at what the cross is, it will help us to understand what this worldly message is that Paul is confronting. So Paul says, he says here, that is the cross of Christ. He talks about it four different times in this passage. In verse 17, he says he doesn't want to empty the cross of its power. In verse 18, he says the cross is folly. Or, and that the word of the cross is the power of salvation. And in, in verse 23, in contrast to the Jews and Greeks, he preaches Christ crucified. And in ver chapter 2, verse 2, he decides to know nothing among these Corinthians except Christ and him crucified. So what is this cross? You all know this. But I want to bring it out because it will help us see what this worldly wisdom is that Paul is con confronting. The cross is the place where the Son of God, taken on human form, body and soul, was put to death on a vile human instrument that was meant to excruciatingly torture its victim and utterly humiliate them. We don't live in a society where this happens. We don't live in a society where you walk down the street and we have crosses lining the streets with victims like this. It was offensive, and it was meant to be. It was supposed to deter people from committing crimes. And this was the instrument that God used in order for Christ to bear our sins. God says, this is what I'm going to use in order to save Christians, to save humanity. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, as Deuteronomy chapter 27 says. In 1 Peter, he bore our sins on the tree, on the cross. It was this instrument, this offensive instrument that God used to save the world. And in this instrument, two things happen. It shows the vileness of our sin, and it shows 
the power of God to overcome that sin. And that is the cross that Paul preaches. Christ dies the death that we deserve. We see this is what we deserve. And we see that we can't atone for our sins. We can't do enough good to make up for it. And Paul is saying this is the cross. This is the word of the cross that we proclaim. It's not a pretty message. And it's not a feel-good story to the world. But this is the hope for the world. And it's this word that Paul says is so foolish to the world. It's foolish because they don't want to accept this. They think, well, you and your Christians, you have a message of love. Okay, we like that. Forgiveness, we like forgiveness. We make society function. If we don't forgive each other, we're endlessly fighting. Obedience, yes, I want to become a better person. A, a better life in the future, life in heaven. Yeah, sign me up for that. Maybe even a better life now. There's wisdom in Scripture. But a message about my depravity and that this Jesus dying as a criminal in my place, that's what I need? No, thank you. That's foolish. And this message is foolish for a couple reasons. It's not only an unlikely way of understanding salvation, it's an absurd way to understand salvation. It's offensive. It's stupid. People look at it and they say, that's not how you save yourself. You do good things and you make up for the bad things you do. You don't need somebody to come in and do all your good works for you. You don't need somebody to take away your sin. Your sin's not that bad. God just forgives you anyway. God just says, it's okay, come on into heaven. And Paul is saying, no, this cross is telling you the opposite of that. And it's coming straight into you. Saviors do not get crucified. Ultimately, for the Jews of that time and the Gentiles, they saw Jesus as not somebody to be praised, as somebody who was wise and powerful, but somebody who was to be mocked. You see this in the cross. When the soldiers were leading Jesus to be crucified, it says, Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, Prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him. It wasn't just the soldiers, but it was Herod, the ruler of the area. It says the soldiers and Herod treated him with contempt and mocked him and then arraying him in splendid clothing after they'd beaten him. They arrayed him in splendid clothing, further mocking him. It's foolish. Look how foolish your king is. Look how foolish your savior is. And so what Paul is drawing out here is the foolishness of this message that we proclaim. The world looks at it and they say, no, there's no way. Your savior wouldn't have that happen to him. The soldiers cried out to him, if you're the son of God, save yourself. Even a thief next to him on a cross said the same thing. If you're who you say you are, you can save yourself. We know the way of salvation. You do it yourself. You've got the power in you. And Jesus is saying, no, if I don't do this, this will not bring about salvation. 
And there's two ways that people see this as foolish. And Paul brings this out with the Jews and with the Greeks. He says, to the Jews demand signs. Verse 22. They expect signs. These are two ways that people seek power. You can have power in signs, or as the Greeks do, power in wisdom. The Jews lived in expectation of a coming Messiah who'd vanquish their oppressors, their political oppressors, and bring in the kingdom of God and usher this in for all time. They expected that this would bring in the peace and serenity of life. This is what they wanted, and they were expecting the Messiah to do this. And when Jesus fails to do this, at least to their expectations, they don't want anything to do with Jesus. They had pinned their hopes on a political savior to come and rescue them from the ills of the world. They thought this person could do it for them. That, to them, was where power was located. But it wasn't just for the Jews and political power, but it was for the Greeks and their own self-effort and ability to bring out about another kind of power. Greeks wanted sophistication, this eloquent wisdom. They wanted finesse. They wanted high and lofty articulations, insight into the nature of things. How does this world work? How can we figure out how to make this work better? And this is what drove them to fight with each other because they thought, well, this person, Paul, tells us to do this. Well, Paulus says to do this, and we're going to figure out one of these guys has it right, and one of these guys has it wrong, or not all the way right. They wanted this worldly wisdom that demonstrated human ingenuity and human power. That at the end of the day, you can be wise. You can be powerful, and you can be master. But the message of the cross, it comes to you and proclaims to you that you must be mastered. The Greeks don't want to be told about their own sin. They don't want to be told about their own failures. They wanted to say, there's a way that you can have your best life now, and it involves your own effort. But a Savior dying on a cross? What good is that for me? How does this help me in the circumstances in my life that I'm in right now? The struggles that I'm in, the fighting that I'm in, the challenges that I have, the lack of resources that I have. A Savior on a dying cross, a dying Savior on a cross? No, we don't need that. We just need some good philosophers. That's what the Greeks were saying. But God comes and says, No, I have provided a way of salvation that brings all this to nothing. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. I will bring every human effort of wisdom and power to nothing. And the reason for this, as John Calvin said in his commentary on this, is to beat down the mad presumption of the flesh which does not scruple to rob God of all of his glory. All of our efforts, apart from Christ, are to bring glory to ourselves. Humanity refuses to look to God alone for their salvation. They want part of it. They want their share. We want to be able to have our share in this so that we can boast 
And Paul confronts that in here in this passage, telling us that let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. But God has worked salvation through a cross to strip us of every last vestige of pride and every last vestige of boasting. See, the city, our city of ourselves, has been broken into, its walls torn down, every building laid waste, and we are laid open before God. That's what the cross does. That's why it's foolishness. That's why the world looks at it and says, I don't want that. I don't want that for me. I don't want that for my life. It's the full and complete exposure of who we are before God. Romans 3 goes even more. It says, there is no one who does good, not even one. That's not a message that you go around proclaiming to win friends and influence people. But it is God's provision of salvation to rebuild us by his power into a beautiful new building, into a temple where God dwells in us by his spirit. And God has done this so that we would know that he and he alone is the one who brings about this salvation. It's not within us. It's only in God alone who brings us. And this is that message of the cross. That's the message that Paul proclaims that is foolishness to the world. But Paul goes on. He says it's not just the message that's foolish to the world. It's God's methods. Not just the, what we proclaim, but how we do it and how God has done it. And there's two methods that Paul shows us here. He gives us two examples. The examples of the Corinthians themselves. And he gives an example of Paul himself as he proclaimed the gospel to the Corinthians. See, first, God uses a weak people. It's not just the proclamation of a wisdom. You don't want to gather weak followers. That's not how you demonstrate power. And Paul insults the Corinthians. In a way, he makes fun of them. Not many of you... Oh, I lost my place. For consider your calling. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Well, thanks, Paul. That really makes me feel great about myself. But he says this amazing thing. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. Paul is saying, I'm using a message of God's wisdom, of what true power and true wisdom is, to put to nothing the foolish wisdom of this world. God is using weak people to demonstrate his unmatched power in this world. The very thing that the world looks upon with shame, Paul is saying, this is glorious. This is powerful. This is amazing. God is saving weak people through a weak message. Supposedly weak it's not our intelligence. It's not our wisdom or our smarts. It's not because we're so wise and powerful and strong that we're Christians today. It's because God used a weak message to call you out of yourself and to himself and to give you strength and power to believe in Jesus Christ. 
on our own, we would never believe this message. Many of us, we may feel hopeless in this world, at least according to the world standards. We don't live up. But God says, those are the very qualifications for entering into my kingdom. That's what qualifies you. The only thing that you bring to the table in salvation is your sin and failure. And Jesus says, come on in. You're welcome here. Not only is God using a weak people, but he's using a weak messenger. Paul says in chapter 2, and, I came, and when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Paul did not show up as a powerful spokesperson. He didn't show up and everybody was like, who is this Paul guy? We have to gather the crowds to come hear him. He's a guy that shows up and you think, weak, fearful, trembling? That's not the kind of guy I want to go hear from. And Paul says, my speech and my, my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit of power. What Paul wants to show us is that the message determines the method. If we use, if we proclaim a message about weakness, about the end of human ingenuity and power and wisdom, how can I come to you using human ingenuity, power, and wisdom? If I'm going to show up and proclaim that this has all been brought to nothing, but I use these very methods, that nullifies the message that I'm proclaiming to you. That's what he says at the beginning. I did not use these lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. When we adopt the world's ways of proclaiming the gospel, we empty the cross of its power. The gospel announces the weakness of mankind. How could we proclaim in strength? And it says God was pleased. This actually made God happy to use weak men to preach to weak people. Worldly methods cannot portray to us the gospel. It's simply words. Or as Paul says, it's a word. He didn't commission artists, movie directors, playwriters, marketers, managers, production artists, philosophers, scientists to portray the gospel. He commissioned weak people to proclaim a word. And we have all been brought into that proclamation. It's a war of words between eloquent words, eloquent wisdom, and the word of the cross. And this is where it gets really controversial. If, you, if I've been controversial yet, this is where it gets really controversial. Sure, we need to not muck up the gospel with our efforts and with our pretension and self-centered ways of presenting the gospel. Paul is not just presenting the way he presents the gospel. This is his entire ministry. Everything that Paul does in his ministry is magnifying his weakness. 
and God's power and strength. Listen to how Paul describes later in this chapter, or in this book. He says, For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst, we are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. We labor working with our own hands, unlike the philosophers of that day. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. This was Paul's ministry. That is how the world would look upon Paul's ministry. Scum and refuse. Trash. I don't think it's, it's so controversial it's hard to even say what it looked like to the world. And we think in our human ingenuity that we can bring the methods of this world to proclaim the gospel. And Paul is saying, God's message, you and me are all showing that that does not work. That is not where power is for God. It's not an excuse for doing ugly, sloppy ministry. But if we use these methods, it will ultimately conceal and nullify this gospel we proclaim. And this brings us to our last and final point this morning. God's wise and powerful Savior. We've heard about the foolishness of the cross, the foolishness of this world and its attempt to seek to demonstrate its own power and wisdom. But now we must see God's wise and powerful Savior for us. And that's the reason why Paul does not want to use the world's methods of proclaiming the gospel. He does not want to conceal Jesus Christ from humanity. Paul wants the full glory of the cross to shine as brightly and as brilliantly as it possibly can. And he wants nothing that he does to get in the way of that. Because in Jesus Christ crucified, God's power is revealed. Romans 1, it is the power of God for salvation. This gospel. God's power over our sin is demonstrated in the cross. We have all the forgiveness we need. Christ bearing our sins on that tree. God's power over Satan on that cross. The record of debt that Satan uses to accuse us, God wipes it out. God's power over death. Christ crucified, rising again from the dead. Everything that this world treats as contemptible, God overturns in the moment of the cross. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, He died for all so that they might live. They who live might no longer live for themselves, but him who died and rose again on their behalf. We do not want to obscure humanity's only hope, only comfort, and only joy. It is in Jesus Christ crucified that God's wisdom is revealed. Human ingenuity, human wisdom, 
cannot be used to save ourselves. It can't be used to proclaim this gospel. We contribute nothing to our salvation. But God in his goodness designed a salvation that removes any sense of boasting that we could have in what we do. God has sent his rescue mission from heaven. He picks us up and carries us home to heaven. And that rescue mission took place on the cross of Christ. So brothers and sisters, this morning and afternoon, let's look to the cross of Christ where Jesus, our Lord's wisdom and power, was manifested to us and revealed to us and accomplished our salvation for us. Let's glory in it, glory in the cross, and trust our Savior who died on it. He died on it so he would carry us all back up home to be with him in heaven forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, these are weighty words of the foolishness that we find ourselves in, but we are grateful for your Savior, Jesus Christ. Though he was weak and poor in this world, he is mighty and strong now. And I pray you would build our faith up in him, and let us not be fearful of the foolishness of this message, because we know that it is your wisdom proclaim to the world. Build us up in our faith and in our strength and our hope in your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.